All right, so this tip is going to be for all of you content nerds out there. This is a strategy that I talked about in a very high-level mastermind program a few weeks ago. So one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they'll create a piece of content, whatever that might be, and they will blast that across all of their content platforms all at the same time. And this is something that we're actually doing as well. So what we do instead is we start on Twitter and we'll talk about a piece of content or a, a topic for a week. The following week, that particular piece of content or topic will move over onto LinkedIn and we'll start talking about a new topic on Twitter. The following week, that uh, content moves from, from LinkedIn over onto uh, Instagram and then the following week it goes over onto TikTok. So essentially we're talking about the same piece of content or the same topic across all of the different platforms for about a month. So this is a, an advanced strategy that a lot of people might not necessarily know about, but we are seeing great, great results from it thus far. If you are a business owner looking to grow your net worth by investing in real assets, go ahead and head over to investinsquarefeet.com and make sure that you sign up for our Facebook page where we talk about all kinds of various different investment tactics that business owners can make. Today on the show, we have Aaron Chapman, and we're going to get into a lot of the ass kickings, as he likes to put it, that he has experienced along the way in his journey as an entrepreneur. He's made his way all the way to the seventh most productive realtor in the country. So this is a person who has achieved a great, great deal in his career. And we get into just how important it was that he did it on his own terms, and I couldn't agree more. Today, you're going to learn how powerful it is to be able to create a vision statement that predicts where you are going to be in the future. Aaron used this to be able to predict his future self, and he's used this for many, many people uh, in his own life to be able to have them achieve great, great success. So with that, let's get on with the show. I called this broker shop. I talked to the branch manager. They agreed to interview me. I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some business clothes and I walked in there in December of 1997. They started me off as a telemarketer. Now, fast forward 20 plus years later. Now it's what? That's 25 years now? 26 years? Damn. So 25 years-ish. At the end of this year, it'll be 26. Um, I'm ranked number one in the uh, actually in the real estate investment finance space for conventional lending. I'm ranked number seven in the United States of over 1.1 million people uh, that do the loan originator job. So if you look us up, um, this the there's an outfit called Modex that tracks that. I know they called the Scotsman Guide. And last year I was ranked number seven of 1.7 million people. So um, the the ability to stick with something and have the balls to not to, to get back up every time it knocks you down because I've had to restart my business a few times. Today, August 8th, 2008, I was in a motorcycle accident 15 years ago that put me in a wheelchair. Uh, I only had one good limb at the time and uh, it erased my memory from me. And I had a memory that only would only last every three minutes. I'd have to, to, to recycle that. And I came back to a completely obliterated industry. It wiped out all of my assets. I had a 460 credit score when I got back on my feet and learned how to walk again. But um, I came back to an industry obliterated in 2009 and I started over. And I went with zero clients 
with a memory that I had to train myself to remember things by carrying a notepad and two people, my mother, Marianne Chapman, who's a realtor here in Arizona and in Missouri, and uh, Carolyn Irby here in Arizona, they're my only two sources of business that would call me and guide me through those things to help me write these things down, remember, and help me get clients back. And that's how I built up that business and the investor coming into Arizona to buy real estate and then going to Indiana, then Texas, then Missouri, then Tennessee. And I built this in this national business starting at zero. Again, it literally completely wiped out my thought process here. And that beating forced me to look around for another direction. I picked a direction and it's now contributed to me being where I'm at. Now I've got 22 staff members, amazing team to help me get these things done. And um, I do not lament that ass whooping whatsoever. The beating that I took yeah. in 2008 was one of the greatest beatings I've ever had. It was also one of the greatest uh, motivators for me to get where I'm at today. Yeah, I love that story. And it's amazing how uh, we have very similar backgrounds, right? I I didn't do the college thing. I you know took all of the, the shops and ceramics and art classes and all of that. I, I went into electrical contracting, or I, I should say I became an electrical uh, apprentice afterwards. So uh, again, very hands-on and all that. Obviously, electrical is probably one of, I'll say the easiest, uh, you know, physically easiest, um, uh, you know, jobs in the trades. But one of the one of the things that I struggled with when I was making the shift from so I, I don't do electrical obviously anymore. You know, today we buy you know large multifamily real estate and uh, have a number of other businesses. I remember struggling with the shift from a physical job every day, physically going out there and and getting things done to talking to people on the phone and and working on the computer, I felt like that it, it wasn't work. It didn't seem like work to me. And I'm curious on your perspective, like coming from a very physically demanding environment where you know, every day you're going out there, you're getting all dirty and you're getting cut and bruised and sore and hauling all of this stuff around. Did you struggle with the same type of thing when you transitioned from that physical work into, we'll call it, you know, again, just talking to, to people, networking, working on the computer? Like, do you remember anything like that? Oh, geez. Yeah. I remember how difficult that was because you go from the mines, right? And then you come out from there. So one, there's this big transition from being underground to what we refer to as surface work, right? I mean, that it gets into your blood to be underground. It was an amazing experience. And it was simple. You you walk under down, you see the, the condition of what they call your heading, where you're in the, the end of the tunnel. And what's the next step? You got to take it from that next step to the to the full cycle of things that need to happen. If you cycled your heading, you're in, you're in good shape. It was really a simple process. It was just a lot of backbreaking work. And I could stand that because I knew what I was supposed to do. Then you come into this, right? And it's like somehow you have to be able to get out into the marketplace to be able to understand what a person needs, convey to them what they need that they may even not even realize they need and that you have the solution for that need and then be able to continue to maintain that business. Because once their mind is alert to it, now they're seeing everybody else out there that has a solution. They refer to it as a reticular activator, right? The second you realize that, you start to notice everybody else out there and now you have everybody else can get their attention. And it's amazing how many how much of that crap you have to overcome. And you don't know if the deal's done until it's done. You have no idea if the effort you're putting in, the daily energy you're putting in actually yields an end. That's the thing that really was frustrating about it. So to, to wrap my head around what it takes to be successful in something when I don't get to see progress was the toughest part. The other part is you're inside and you're stationary. You're not moving around. That was tough too. I was used to being able to do stuff with my body. I wasn't doing that. So I had to get a gym membership because I couldn't stay in shape just by going to work anymore. All the jobs I ever did before were so physically demanding. You didn't need to go to the gym. 
right? You were you were literally carved out of wood just because you were going into the going into work, all the stuff I'd ever done. So those things were definitely difficult for me to wrap my head around and become successful at. And but then once you start realizing the things you can't do um, and developing relationships with people, that was the, the I'd say the main thing that when you get somebody on the phone or get somebody face to face is interacting with that person in a way that they know that they can't, they want you in the, their world as much as you want them in their world, or you want to be in their world. And I could refer to it as people collecting. The more people I collected, the more, the more business I did and the more uh, successful I became. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that has to do with obviously establishing a great rapport and the whole no like trust, trust factor. You obviously have found great success. So what was that transition looking like? How did you go to be able to have people trust you enough to be able to start doing business with you uh, and presenting yourself in a way that people gravitated toward and, and really understood what you could do for them, right? Does that, does that well, I, I'd say the greatest transition of all that where things really started to work, right? wasn't just your, your average guy out there or slightly above average, right? I'd be one of those B plus, A minus players in the game. Um, still a top producer, but top producer in the sense of the average guy out there. The average person right now is doing zero to one transaction per month, right? Uh, the average person in the in the peak was doing between you know three to five transactions a month. I was doing 150, right? Where I really started to see that big gap start to widen between myself and everybody else was when I realized that I needed to mirror how I spoke and how I acted need to mirror my appearance. So when I started in the industry, like I said, I cut a foot off of my hair, I shaved, I put on business like clothes, and I would talk to somebody. I finally got comfortable enough just to talk to people. I realized that when they'd see me face to face, it became this dynamic shift. And it's like who they see, saw in their mind was different than who was in front of them. And it was not a good different. It was a bad different because um, I was lying to them with my appearance. I was not me. And there come a point that I was actually at a um, after my accident. Um, I couldn't grow a beard, by the way. Uh, when I got an accident, tore up the right side of my face. There was a patch that would not fill in. It filled in. I woke up in the hospital with a full beard. So I was really excited about that. And I, learned, I decided I would not uh, trim it until I learned how to walk again. But I trimmed it and kept it about probably two and a half inches long all the time. Um, and I was going out to hanging out with a buddy of mine, Jack. And we were out to dinner with our, with our spouses one night. He is a very successful real estate investment, uh, excuse me, a, um, an insurance and investment firm and as we're walking out of dinner he puts his arm around and he goes dude i want to see you very successful and i make that happen i'm like awesome you know whatever i got to do he goes uh and he starts giving me this plan he goes but i got one one request i said name it he says you need to conform more it's like what do you mean he says you need to shave right put on a suit wear more business like clothes i said so what you're saying is i have to become you he goes that's my brand because all my all my agents dress that way, all the people that are that work for me dress that way. I need you to do the same, and we'll promote the hell out of you. I had to pause for a minute, and it was literally weighing the option out. Right, right now I'm struggling trying to build things back. This is 2014, and I'm doing all right. Right, I'm doing probably 10, 15 transactions a month, or I can go here where I can literally do all the business for this guy's entire vast network. I'm like, I could climb aboard his super yacht and sail some real fruitful waters. And I put my arm around him. I said, Jack, thank you, man. I love you, brother, but fuck you. And he's like, what? I said, I can't compromise me for anything. And those way, those, and, and that was, and again, that was a pure love, the response I gave to him, because that was a huge offer. And what I decided at that point was I realized that Jack 
at that point was pointing something out. I was literally straddling this line, have one foot on each side line. I'm trying to be professional, but also be me at the same time. I wore a black, sh black shirt, black slacks, black boots, and my beard trimmed. And I tried to present both sides. Is at that point, I said, hell with that. I'm doing it my way. All the slacks and stuff went out the window. Jeans, black shirt, boots. I went my direction. And the hat, everything. And I kept the beard trimmed up at that point. And I was going to these other events. And I was in an, another event where a guy walks up to me. His name is Ron Phillips. You may even know him. Um, and he had full beard. And he says, my beard was longer than yours yesterday. I'm like, mine was longer than mine yesterday. I had to trim it for this event. I said, here's the deal, Ron. I won't trim it till I see you again. Now, I would see Ron every quarter, if not every six months. I didn't see that some bitch for five years. <laughs> five years went by before I saw him again. I had to bring him on my YouTube show to get him to actually see him face to face. And my beard was down to my waist. I'd have to lift my head to, to put my belt on. because And it was just skinny at the bottom. It looks pathetic. So I finally got him on there. I took my knife. I cut half of it off. And that's where it stayed my brand. I created a whole new brand based upon my agreement with him. What's funny is he didn't even remember the agreement. He was clean shaven when I brought him on. He forgot all about it. He goes, dude, I don't even remember that conversation. I said, but I do. And I'm willing to wear my commitment on my face. Now it's become part of my brand. And the ultimate thing is here, um, being me 100% in regardless of, the, of, of who I was face to face with, if I was separating my ability to do business with somebody because of how I looked and how I talked, then little I got to the end of the chase fast. I didn't have to put in all this energy and all this time and all this effort and all these quotes and all this thing to try and earn business from somebody I was going to get it from anyway. If they're that petty that how I look and how I talk is going to prevent them from doing business with me, I don't want to do business with that some bitch. So let's just sort through it right out of the gate. And what I found is I would actually draw in more business by being me than I ever did by trying to conform to what I thought people wanted to see. Yeah. yeah. And most, most importantly, you're happy, right? You know, you don't have to try to be somebody who you're not and uh, present yourself in a way that, you know, you're not. So, and I feel like that's, that's something that a lot of people compromise. They, they feel like they want to conform. They feel like they, you know, they want to fit in and they end up you know, giving up themselves to be able to conform and fit into that little bucket as to what everybody thinks that that thing should be. Uh, you know, should be right. So, uh, love yeah, you, love lose, you lose yourself and all this stuff. And it kind of gets me back to, I mean, it, not to take this to a complete religious spin. I mean, I don't even know, it shouldn't even be a religious thing to even think of it, right? The Ten Commandments. Um, if, if we're really being honest about it, I don't give a damn what book you want to look at uh, as far as this considered religious text. That's the history of us. It's a history book, right? It tells you how, how, to, how to interact with certain things. And I believe there's a lot of truth in how this is. Now, if you look at that, it talks about not coveting other people. Right. So what's interesting about that, we label it all is if you're coveting or taking from somebody else, it seems like it's a stealing thing or we, we should have a social structure. Where we're not worried about somebody taking what's ours. It, we should never have to worry about that. But we have to on that respect. The other side of it, if you're, if you're so wrapped up in what somebody else has, you fail to design what you want. Why, I don't have to drive somebody else's Bugatti. I don't have to drive somebody's Ferrari. I don't have to drive it to be else. I don't have to have their their watches or their rings or their knives or their guns or any that kind of crap. I want my own stuff, and I want stuff that I like. Right? It's funny how uh, I mean, not to get into watches or whatever. I became a watch guy, and I, I wear Omegas everywhere. People ask me why do you like Omegas? It's because every asshole has a Rolex and a Breitling. Right? I'm different than everybody else. I walk into a room. There's so few that have that. Now, does it matter that I have a watch or not have a watch? No. I just 
it's what I like. And it should be what you like. Everything should be what you like and what you design. I'm wearing freaking camo for crap's sake when I go places, right? I go to a business meeting. I'll go with somebody that has to be business-like clothing. So they want you to wear buttons. My buttons, the only buttons I have are on camo shirts. That's what I show up in. You want buttons, this is what you get, right? And it's amazing how they accept that. I walk into board meetings where there's nothing but suits, expensive freaking suits. And I walk into everybody's perfectly cool with it because that's what they expect. Just be you, but don't be an asshole. And don't don't have to have what everybody else has. You can be exactly what you want to be. And what I've also found is you can say exactly what you want to say. It just depends on how you say it. You can't be one of those type of people that steps on other people. You always need to be one who's helpful and looking to try and benefit other people with whatever it is you do. And you'd be amazed at how much you benefit by taking care of somebody else. Couldn't agree more. Let's talk a little bit about your book. Who's the target client or the target reader, I should say? And what's the book about? What do you want to accomplish with that? So ultimately, we're still working on a title. I got a few different titles that we've been playing with. So I have to figure that particular out uh, thing out. But the ultimate end is people being able to decide the beating they're willing to take to, to achieve the success that they want to. We can do a lot when you just map out your plan. And it necessarily doesn't have to even follow the right map. You just need to know the approximate destination. And once you start putting yourself on, on, on the path to moving towards it, you'd be amazed at how many things just start to line up. I'd heard this really amazing statement. If you don't ask questions, you can never hear the answer. The answers are floating around us all the time. We just don't know what the question is sometimes. And, we don't, and if we don't ask questions, we don't know the answer sitting right there. Just like if you don't know your destination, you have no idea the path to get there. So the, the premise of the book is being able to write a very, very, very vivid um, future for yourself and know exactly or have a basic idea of the beatings you're willing to take to get there. Um, and I try and give it a really practical approach for people to achieve that. And if they having a hard time writing it on their own, which let's just be honest, man, it is tough to sit down and really concentrate on something. I think it was Wallace Bottles that said that uh, concentrated thought, concentrated thought is the hardest work to do. Right. I believe it's something like that. So I'm offering people the opportunity and literally only six at a time. I'm not looking at big, vast crowds. I don't like that crap. You know, people are like, hey, I'm going to sell a big room of 5,000 people and charge $5,000 a head. Well, that's impersonal and it sucks. It's no different than having a calendar to, to, to schedule a time with me. I have an assistant. You reach out to Bree, she'll give you a big ass hug over the phone and get you, get our calendar synced up. I like personal connection. So in this situation, it's like, you need help doing that. I've done it several times. I bring other experts in that have done it, experts that can help you in your trajectory to be successful in what it is you want to do. And we'll spend several days with you in an environment where you can concentrate and build this out. And it's only six people at a time. And sure, it's five grand ahead, but you'll pay five grand to go sit in a room with 500 to 1,000 people and have information dumped at you where you accomplish nothing but feel good. Guys, I can get you a hit of Coke for a hell of a lot cheaper than that, right? So why spend all that capital when we can sit down and do it really, really one-on-one? -on -one? And I want to focus on helping people accomplish that. And I'm not in it for making a fortune. I mean, I will. I'm going to make money regardless. I mean, money's just going to come. If I want it, you just go get it. People don't understand that. They think, well, he's making money on me. Well, you're going to make money on me, right? I'm going to give you knowledge you've never had before and an environment to do it you've never had available to you. So if there's a little bit of money you give up to make an enormous amount down the road, well, you're making money on me and I'm going to make sure you make money on me. And that's up to you to decide whether or not you want to do that. So that's the premise and where we're heading with this book. And if nobody picks it up, I don't give a shit. 
That's the other thing that's cool about it. It's going to be such a ridiculous piece. What's awesome about this is the artwork on it is it, there is 14 masterpieces that were created, hand painted for this book. Wow. It's never been, it's nothing that I have ever seen done before. Robert Allen is one of the biggest critics of books I've ever talked to. The guy, when he sees somebody's self-published crap, he just throws it across the room. He's the one writing the forward and overseeing a lot of this. He said, this needs artwork. Handed off to my brother. He's an artist and he went crazy with the art. And if you want to know what the art looks like, it's like the, the um, illuminated manuscripts of like the 1300s. All those, you know, those religious texts where it has this ornate landscape and you got the little uh, religious figures in there and it's got the big letter for the first word of the chapter. You only have the first line. That's what it looks like the cover of every chapter. So it's pretty wild. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Is your uh, your program directed at any one particular industry, or is it someone who's looking to better their career, better their business? Is it entrepreneurial? Start a business? Like what? Is there a vertical focus or anything like that? I'm more targeting the real estate investor because I understand the real estate investor, but really, it could be anybody. Anybody that wants to do that because it's a matter of what you want. I learned this years ago, 2014. I sat down because I was being hired they were attempting to hire me another company. And they said, we want to see your five-year plan. I'm like, what five-year plan? They sent me the, the vision, the five-year vision of the CEO and the, the, the steps on how to write this. I'm like, this is complete bullshit, right? And it's like, but if I, they will fly me out there first class to meet with the CEO to come work for these guys, I'm like, fine, I'll do it. And I decided to get just crazy with it and write some of the most elaborate crap that I've ever thought. And as I wrote it, I decided to put myself in the space, in the actual setting um, out in the mountains, writing a letter to myself five years in advance of exactly what my life was like. Now, did everything come true? Exactly. No. But all the big points that I had control over, all of that actually didn't come true. It got better than what I had written down. I blew past it. I tried it again. I have, actually I have four more other books out there on Amazon. One of them, the first one describes that whole using that process again and how all these other things worked to my advantage and how it literally created something I couldn't even fathom. So when you write stuff down, it's amazing how the universe just starts to line up and start setting things up for you. So now I'm going to sit down with Eric, my brother, who's the artist. And once he gets the final piece of art done, he's almost there. We're going to fly out to my place in Missouri, which is the place where I'm going to hold these, these sessions at for people. And we're going to sit down. We're going to write the success of this particular book. And we'll see how this all plays out. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. When you're planning your, your future like that, do you have any, like, this is this is what I think, this is what I want. Is there any type of framework or anything uh, you know, to it? Or is it just kind of like a conscious stream of like, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. Uh, and how do you know whether or not you're thinking big enough, right? Because uh, again, I think a lot of people undershoot what's possible. So um, any yeah. thoughts on, on creating something that is big enough to strive for, but still make it, I guess, achievable? What's interesting is you don't have to everybody thinks that when you're going to write something down you have to have this big grandiose future that they're shooting for right you got to be you, you want to climb everest and so you want to map out what it takes to get on top of everest but it doesn't have to be that that difficult one of the things that um and i say it could be anything right it doesn't have to be this big grandiose thing my sister when i it, the story in book number one that's on amazon just look it up aaron chapman you look up aaron chapman njo as in not jerking off because one of that books is titled quit jerking off 
right? And so I'm and I'm not jerking off, right? And it's like I'm focused on things that I'm going to get done. And uh, it's the, the QJO initiative series is what I put out there, the Quit Jerking Off initiative. Book number one is point your head and heart, your ass will follow. And it tells a story of what I had of utilizing this this uh, this system, if you will, where my sister was going to get licensed in the lending business so I could reestablish my license and reactivate it in the state of Missouri because I had all this business out there I need to get done. It's a story as to why this happened. Well, she was having a difficult time passing the test. She, she failed the first time and then I needed to go back and take it the second time. So what I did is I flew out there, I sat her down and I had her over dinner sit there and write what it was like to sit in front of her computer at the test center and be and have the, the screen pop up that says, are you finished, right? And you're gonna click that you're finished and you're gonna wait for your results. I said, now you're, you're at that point. Write what you do when you click it and you're waiting what it feels like to wait. And then when it pops up the next screen saying that you passed, what score you passed with, how it feels to stand up and grab your things and walk out the door, turn in your, your, your the stuff that you have, they give you back your license. You walk out, you see your husband there. He sees the look on your face. He sees the look on your face. You guys embrace all of that, everything that happens that day. And then her husband was sitting next to me and said, Jim, you need to sit there. You need to write what it's like to drive with her to the testing center. Sit out there while she's in there testing while you're waiting that half hour, hour, whatever it is. The response and the reaction you get when you when she walks out, all of that. And then I wrote down what it was like to have the phone call from her to focus on, get her focused before she gets to the testing center. And then as I waited for her to take the test and she comes out and the response I get from her was I get the phone call when she tells me all about what happened and what how I responded. And then what we did, we ripped them all off the notepad and I handed them to her and I said, okay, now what you do, every time you study for the test and take a practice test, you read all of these. Reread them, reread them, reread them. When you have a single shadow of doubt as to whether or not you're going to pass this test, you reread these things. When you go to the test center that day, you don't study. You read these. And that's all you do is you read these. You get your mind on this. You know she was within one point before she said she was going to be, and she passed that test. And amazing, all the things that happened were exactly what she wrote. And it's not a matter of you repredicting your future. It's a matter of getting your mind away from the uh, the negative aspect of stuff. And you probably know the name Dr. Joe Dispenza, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Everybody listening needs to go right now to your to to YouTube and look up Joe Dispenza TEDx Tacoma. And what it is he did a, he did a talk in Tacoma, Washington, and he showed neurons connecting with neurons as you think about things. And it's amazing. Have you ever had a great idea, right? An amazing idea. And it popped into your head. And then you're like, oh, I think I can do that. Then all of a sudden it's like, nah, you kind of suck at that. And it's really expensive. And do you really have the time to do it? And then before long, you forgot about the idea. You can't remember what you what you thought of. Does that happen to you? Sure. Absolutely. It happens to all of us, right? Well, he explains literally right there that when the idea hit, it was one neuron connecting with another neuron. But what happened is you have old wiring on that old on that neuron that kicks in and says, wait a minute. We have this other experience here, and that was really expensive. It talks you out of it. What happens is that connection falls away. But if you concentrate on the connection, which is what I was telling Brianne to do with this particular, um, with, with what we wrote up, what that is solidifies the connection. You concentrate on that connection. You can only think that a certain outcome. It solidifies that connection. He says there's this adhesive that they call neural growth factor on that neuron, and it all goes to where you're concentrating. So all that adhesive goes to that new concentrated effort, that new connection, the old ones fall away. So now the doubt goes away and the error goes away and you can't think that way anymore. You only think that you're going to accomplish what you need to. And that's what this does. 
You are literally taking a physiological process and putting it to work by putting on paper and focusing only on that, by having it in words. And I've had some friends of mine where they'll record it. Actually, the first guys I took out there to Missouri, I taught them this principle. I put them in tree stands out in the woods while it's raining. And I've made them write in the rain while I went hunting. And I did this. They probably spent a total of about 10, 12 hours writing before they came up with their final visions, which were six, seven pages long. And then one of them recorded it to himself and he would walk his dog and he'd have that playing in the background. Anytime he read it, he'd kick on the audio so he could read it and see it. You know, he was accomplished way more than what he wrote down that five years ago. The guy's doing some badass stuff now. Yeah, that's cool. And is he, has he updated it and, and done another one? I don't know if he's done another one since, and I'll have to talk to him. But he's also going to be there for people that are that are going to, to do this because he is my infinite banking guy, and he's done some amazing stuff for me and my family. So we want to help people set up their foundation for everything, have the people there to facilitate their foundation in the future, but at the same time, mainly facilitate their ability to write that future. Yeah. All right. I love how raw and how real Aaron is. So Aaron took us through his progression of how he turned his life around after getting into a motorcycle accident, learning how to, how to walk, how to remember things, and really taking that to the next level. And you learned where he really started to explode was when he started being his authentic self. He was playing this role where he was dressing up because he felt like that's what he had to do. And when he shed that, he decided that he was going to dress the way that he wanted to dress and to present the way that he wanted to present himself. He now has the confidence where he walks into rooms and people just accept who he is because that's what they expect. He's a lot more comfortable and confident and he's not playing somebody else who he isn't. So valuable advice to be able to walk forward in your own life and create your own authentic brand that reflects exactly who you are. And one of the other main learnings from this episode that Aaron shared with us is, are his thoughts on creating a document that expresses your vision for five years into the future. And I can absolutely attest to this approach. We have something that's called a vivid vision statement, which ours only projects three years into the future, but really it's an incredibly powerful instrument that you use to be able to align your entire team around a future event and what things are going to look like in the future. And you get people to start thinking about how they can contribute to make that reality or to make that future a reality. It's powerful. I've witnessed that myself. So great advice from Aaron on you know creating a document that allows you to share where your vision is for the future and what that future is going to look like. So important. I know that I took away a couple of things from today's conversation, and I hope you did as well. With that, if you are a business owner who is looking to grow their net worth by investing in real assets, go ahead and check out investinsquarefeet.com, and I look forward to understanding how we can help you achieve your goals. Investing.